birds are not aggressive creatures, miss. They bring beauty into the world. It is mankind, rather, who insists upon making it difficult for life to exist upon this planet. Now, if it were not for Mrs. birds... Mrs. Bundy, you... you don't seem to understand. This young lady said there was an attack on the school. Impossible. What actually happened at the school? A bunch of crows attacked the school kids. It's the end of the world. Thus saith the Lord God unto the mountains and the hills and the rivers and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, shall bring a sword upon you, and I will devastate your high places. I hardly think a few birds are going to bring about the end of the world. These weren't a few birds. Could you ask them to lower their voices, please? They're frightening the children. Whole flock of gulls nearly capsized one of my boats, practically tore the skipper's arm off. You're scaring the kids, keep it low. Yeah. yeah, but he's scaring me, too. The gulls were after your fish, Mr. Shores. Really, let's be logical about this. Well, what were the crows after at the school? What do you think they were after, Miss uh... Daniels? I think they were after the children. For what purpose? To kill them. Why? I don't know why. I thought not. Birds have been on this planet, Miss Daniels, since Archaeopteryx, 140 million years ago. Doesn't it seem odd that they'd wait all that time to start a, a war against humanity? Who said anything about a war? All I said, some gold. Want some more coffee? No. Came down on one of my boats. They could have been after the fish, just like you said. Egg up, chicken. The captain should have shot at them. Huh? Golds are scavengers anyway, most birds are. Get yourselves guns and wipe them off the face of the earth. <laughs> that would hardly be possible. Why not, Mrs. Bundy? Because there are 8,650 species of birds in the world today, Mr. Carter. It is estimated that 5,750,000,000 birds live in the United States alone, the five continents of the world. Kill them all, get rid of them, messy animals. Probably contain more than 100 billion birds. It's the end of the world. Those gulls must have been after the fish. Of course. Hurry up, children. Finish your lunch. Are the birds going to eat us, Mommy? I'm glad you all think this is so amusing. Frighten the children half out of their wits. If the young lady said she saw the attack at a school, why don't you believe her? What attack? Who attacked the school? Birds did. Crows. You're all sitting around here debating. What do you want them to do next? Crash at that window? Mommy. Shh. Why don't you all go home? Lock your doors and windows. That's the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. You're listening to The Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hello and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of 
the fear of God. We hope that you had a really, really wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, you were probably stuffed to the gills with lots of cranberry sauce and candied yams and stuffing and hopefully some really, really delicious turkey. Unless, of course, you're a vegan or vegetarian, at which point I'm not quite sure what you have for Thanksgiving, but I hope it was delicious. And we here are having, an, uh, just we're continuing on our celebration of Thanksgiving with the second of our two-part series uh, called Hashtag Hitchcock's Giving. And in the spirit of giving thanks and just uh, celebrating everything that, that we do here at The Fear of God, my name is Reed Lackey, and typically with me is one Mr. Nathan Rouse, but from what I understood, he had to drive some great distance to to deliver some gift to to an old, well, actually, I don't think it was an old friend. I think it was some stranger he met in a store and suddenly just you know, became obsessed with delivering some gift, but, uh, but I don't know. I'm sure he'll be back from his trip not too, you know, not too long from now. But in the meanwhile, again, in the spirit of uh, Thanksgiving and gratitude, I want to read uh, a, a one of our iTunes reviews. Uh, we're not going to do this every single episode, but uh, we just we want to say thank you to the people that took the time to uh, leave us a rating and review. And if you have not yet done that, I want to encourage you to do that, particularly if you listen to us through iTunes. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate that. Um, this week, I'm going to read a review from The Shore Thing. If I'm putting the dots together correctly, I think this is our our listener friend, Taylor Shore, um, who said, having a Christian outlook and a love of the spooky myself, it's incredibly heartening to know there are members of the church who aren't dismissive toward the genre. I think horror holds more thematically rich potential than almost any other genre. The hosts clearly enjoy each other's company. The show openers they come up with are fun and witty. I hope so. Thank you. He says, I've gotten nice recommendations from the Whatcha Watchin' section, and there's a nice variety of stories they've covered to choose from. It's the only pod I've ever seen with an episode on the movie May. Yes, and uh, Taylor, I think not that many people have listened to the episode, so I think not only is that one of the only podcasts that covers May, but uh, maybe we're the only ones that have seen it. I'm not quite sure, so if you've never seen May, go check out May and then go listen to our episode about it. But um, but no, sincerely, very much, uh, thank you so much for your review. Thank you for taking that time. We really, really appreciate all of the reviews that we've received. And so, I don't know, I'm looking around, man, this this food that I made is going to get cold. I don't know quite where Nathan... Oh! Nathan! How you doing, buddy? Oh my gosh! I don't know what's I guess going. That's more like a chicken. That's a chicken. I was <laughs> trying to think of a, a bird. A bird. The first bird you went to was was a chicken, and then a turkey. Not yeah. the caw-caw! <laughs> You know, I mean, we did do we did do an episode on the raven. After all, you know, I mean, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! One of my favorites. Oh god! One of my favorites. So, there's. Uh, you've seen. Surely you've seen it. If you haven't, man, it is so delightful and wonderful. You've you've seen the Muppets, right? The one with a um the the one with Jason Segel, the yeah, one that yeah, they yeah. did in 2009. One of my favorite things about that movie. There's so many things to love about that movie, but one of my favorite things is all of the chickens. Joining in a chorus of and they do it over and over again. It's a time I've got the soundtrack. It's two and a half minutes of and, it, and then it's, it's great because they get to the bridge and they're like <laughs> like it is so it's glorious. It's wow. Wonderful. 
It's wonderful. Happy Thanksgiving, Camilla, buddy. Camilla and her clucks. Yeah, exactly. Happy Thanksgiving. Belated Thanksgiving, but we sincerely hope that everybody enjoyed their time. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. From where we're from where we're sitting, we don't know, but I'm yeah. sure I did, and I ate too much because that's just what I do. That's what you do. Um, that's what I do. I do appreciate like when you open an episode. I'm so not used to not interacting with you when we're <laughs> on this that my impulse, I just like everything you say, I want to throw in an asinine comment, you know? <laughs> um, like, no, you really don't have to go watch May, um, but you can't listen to our <laughs> wow. episode. <laughs> I like that movie. Um, um, I will, I will, can I, can I throw a, a thanks please. on the pile? Yeah, please do. Please do. You know, Say you, thank you, you to one of our listeners. I'll do that. Just to one of them, though. Um, Only one. This one's uh, iTunes name is uh, Blake I Collier. I'm not totally sure who that is in the real, but <laughs> you know, I'm sure they they do. Um, Blake I Collier's uh, review says: Reed and Nathan bring thoughtful, religious, and spiritual analysis to the horror genre. What separates this podcast from the others? which is also a horror movie, is the humor <laughs> with which each episode is inflected. They make a show that flies by each week and makes for great running noise. Check it out, nice. he says. Thank you, Blake. I started to try to get into my like radio announcer voice there. At the end. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. It's a great show that flies by each week. Um, so, yeah, those are fun. I'm glad we did that. Maybe we'll, Maybe we'll, you know... Maybe people post some more reviews. We'll we'll keep. Yeah, we'll occasionally revisit some. But yeah, maybe revisit read, some classics or something. Yeah, I am. I am kind of curious. You know, before we get too far down our path here, and that's a. at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> the chicken's just... He gets a bad feed or something. He's like... <laughs> I was really oh. worried because uh, we didn't talk about you know the lead-in there. Nothing. I was really worried you were just going to go into it and I was going to have to be rude and ask you to let me do the joke. So I was like, no, I'm just going to I'm just going to cut him <laughs> off and just go just for it. it. Oh my gosh, yeah. that was delightful. My side hurts now. That was really funny. I enjoyed Good. I That's, enjoyed that yes. immensely. Yes. So, great. even though I'm asking you, I've got I've got two. Do you, what sure. do you have? Sure. Uh, no, I only have one. So, why don't you why don't you okay. go ahead and then yeah, and then we'll do yeah. We'll cool. Do. Well, the first one I'll lead with is um I can't remember if you got around to seeing this or not or, or, or what, but I did probably about a month ago now um, go see A Star is Born. Mm, I never um, got around to seeing that in the theater, to my, to my sadness, but uh, but yeah. Featuring um, Rocket Raccoon and <laughs> Fame Monster. <laughs> Man, I loved it. Oh, loved yeah? It. Yeah? I've not... I didn't. I had never seen any of the others. I didn't know the story other than the trailer. I if 
Have you seen any of the others? Yeah, I've I've actually seen at one point or another all three of the other oh, okay, iterations okay. of it. Yeah. Well, there's you know you will know this. There's a pretty significant sort of plot element that I had no clue was mm. inherent to the plot that I did not see coming. And let me ask uh, you yeah. with uh, let me ask you with yeah. non spoiler you know like being sensitive to spoilers would it involve the t- something towards the ending? Is that what you're referring to? It involves a thing towards the ending. I think I know what yes. you're talking about. Yeah, I think I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least in the other, at least in the other. So, situations. well, and actually, I don't know how it's typically done, but it's a, it's it's suicide in this one. Oh, um, is it? Oh no, yeah. no, that's not yeah, that's not in the other. Three. It is. It's so heavy. Um, it will not surprise me. Now I don't know if, what it'll win. What if it'll win? But um, it will not surprise me for him to get director. Uh, for both of them to get performance, it'll definitely get nominated for song. It is, it's just big, and it's one of those like, and as I am prone to do, if you're kind of a jerk and real cynical about it, like you could be like, man, I don't know. But if you kind of go in with your heart on your sleeve, ready to just kind of be swept up in a big melodrama, big Hollywood melodrama, it really nails all the punches. Mm, um, mm. So it's it's very strong. All right. All right. Yeah, I I still I still do want to see it. That story, yeah, this is the fourth time around that that story has been done in Hollywood. Um and yes. Which is a little weird. I mean, I, isn't I you it? know, yeah. I don't really know the the storied past of it, but it's just kind of odd that it's been done so many times. Yeah, I I concur. Well, uh yes, I hope to I hope to still get around to that cuz I hear Lady Gaga is wonderful in it and I hear, you know, I'm very very happy that given Bradley Cooper it's his directorial debut that it's doing so well. I'm pleased for him, um, and yes, uh, from what I hear, I hear that it, it has earned and deserves lots of the the praise that is being heaped upon it, possibly even resulting in awards accolades. Um, so mine is a uh, is a what you're reading, and you and I both love this author, but it's um, I've been reading a lot recently of essays, uh, books of essays by Marilyn Robinson. Um, mm. so she, uh, most prominently of the novel Gilead, um, which I have read and loved and I own a copy of that is autographed by the author. Thanks to Where'd one, that come from? Uh, thanks to one Mr. Nathan Rouse. That's where it came from. And I mm. really appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, it is a treasure. That's a fantastic book. Oh, that book is so gorgeous. If you have not read Gilead, Gilead is something truly special. Um, so, but, uh, but I've also been diving into some of her, her essays. And have you, have you ever read any of her books of essays or any specific piece you know, that she's done? You know, all I have read is Gilead. I started home and for whatever reason got sidetracked at a certain point. Okay. Um, I do think I may have just started, because not what you're going to refer to here, because I don't know this, this one, but this, this is not her first book of like essays and like short. Uh, right, right, right. No, no, no. Um, yeah. And I think I may have started another one. She's, she's very heady in, in a great way. Uh, no, no, it's very true. She is an intellectual giant and within each individual essay makes me want to give back my college degree and fit, you know, say, wow. say that I'm, you know, just right at a <laughs> I mean, second grade education. You know, we- we kind of we, we might as well sort of did I guess <laughs> so so Nathan and I both got theater arts degrees uh, so I wasn't necessarily referring to what the subject matter we studied was <laughs> however it is 
it is funny little little read nathan anecdote here so literally the summer after we graduated our alma mater collegiate alma mater got embroiled as so many of them do in a sports academics scandal yes um, like the year we graduated pres- sucks so yeah bad. like yeah. literally like the month after we left um and it was you know like it wasn't for me i was in the sports programs <laughs> with all the sport people yeah um sure. anyway so it was just I, I have this you know 20 years on recollection of you um because uh, the president is who was implicated in this sort of scandal true yeah and and i remember you us packing to go to California and you pointing to your degree and or your diploma or whatever. Like, <laughs> oh, that's worth that's worthless now. <laughs> oh my gosh! I know. Oh, anyway, I'm sorry. Marilyn Robinson. So yes, yeah, so Marilyn Robinson. So there's there's three books that I've been kind of making my way through because they are collections of essays and each essay not necessarily dependent upon other essays within the piece. They can be read in sort of a circular fashion just based on, you know, what the titles are, you know, intriguing me. Dude, so the three books that I've been cycling through, one, I just love these titles. Good Lord. So the most recent one is just simply called What Are We Doing Here? And being published in 2018 references a lot of current social and political trends um, in some very provocative ways and compelling and insightful ways that are just really uh, inspiring. Uh, Another one, this is my favorite title of any book ever i think um her second the second book of essays that i'm reading not second chronologically but just happens to be what i'm mentioning is called when i was a child i read books and i just think that mm. is such a lovely and direct sentiment and and i just I, I love it so much the third book in this little collection is called the givenness of things and mm. um i mean she's she's such a lovely writer I'm not going to read any excerpts because, quite frankly, uh, I'm struggling to understand them. None of us could understand them. That's a bit dismissive. I mean, you can you can follow what she's saying, but you have to kind of get on the rhythm of what she's saying because, yes, she is terribly academic in the best way possible. She will make you look up a word about every other sentence. And really, her her approach is so non-aggressive that it's really just it, – it's almost as if you're observing someone explore – a subject and it inspires you to want to explore subjects more deeply and further Mm. and just, and, Mm. and just she invites and excites curiosity in the reader. And I I just love that so much. Check it. I'm, I'm I'm literally got the books in front of me and I'm going to read you just a couple of these titles of the essays, not excerpts from the essays themselves, but just check this out. Imagination and community. Dude, that essays, Mm. that essays beautiful. Why don't you, why don't we just take, why don't we just make this podcast episode you reading that essay? Okay. <clears throat> Imagination and community. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the Fate of Ideas. Mm. Another is called The Human Spirit and the Good Society. Uh, Open Thy Hand Wide, Moses and the Origins of American Liberalism. Dude. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's from when I was a child, I read books. Here's a couple of the titles from What Are We Doing Here? Um, one of them is called The Sacred and the Human, hmm. Theology for This Moment. Um, this, is, this is one of my favorites just in terms of a title. I actually haven't gotten to this essay yet, but I'm very excited. Our Public Conversation, How America Talks About Itself. Um, wow. Considering the Theological Virtues, Faith, Hope, and Love. And then, oh man, just, just an idea of just sort of what you're dealing with here. Integrity and the Modern Intellectual Tradition. 
I'm just like, man, I'm like, like right, re- right. Reading these, just again, there's such a reverence for academia. There's such a reverence for intellectual and conscious thought. Um, she herself is a devout Christian, and that shows up in a lot of her works, but never in a very reductive or um, you know dismissive way. Like any of any of you out there who may or may not be uh, religious thinkers, or maybe are religious thinkers, and think that there's a certain void between intellectualism and religious thought. Pick up a book by Marilyn Robinson. In fact, yeah. pick up Gilead, and you will be categorically proven wrong with every single sentence. Because she, as I mentioned, is an intellectual giant, a devout Christian, a powerful thinker, an inspiring writer. And I am just, I, I'm just enriched by the fact that her books are in my hand, and I'm, I'm loving it. So that's what I've been reading. Don't you, uh, don't you like love and hate how, in normal workaday life, you feel like a relatively smart person? <laughs> you know, in, 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 in that way, in that way that we can do in our inner selves, we're like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm smarter than so and so. I is like, smart. You know, like your, I your, is kind. Your peers yeah. and your colleagues or whatever, you're like, oh, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have the better vocabulary here. And then wow. you encounter someone like Marilyn Robinson, and you're just like, yeah, yep, I'm gonna get back my degree. I is nope. I is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I is so dumb. Yeah, no, exactly. So yeah, you that's so dumb. That's what I've been. That's what I've been reading. Well, speaking of keep keeping it high minded here for a minute. Okay. Um, my last one and my what you're watching's it this this will feel like an elitist element that I'm throwing in the mix here that I had the privilege of watching recently, and I suppose on a certain level it is more. I'm just sort of sharing how floored I was. So I had the distinct pleasure recently. I did not think it would end up happening because of various factors and circumstances but um in charlotte they just ended their run about a week ago was the current touring production of hamilton Mm. um Mm -hmm. and i had sort of also in that elitist way i can sometimes be i was very late to the hamilton party okay Uh, i think part of it is man i'm just getting confessional here Hope I need you to back me up a little bit on this okay, statement okay, here. Okay, you know that way sometimes when like someone's super successful for legitimate artistic reasons, you're a little resentful of them. You know, I can understand like, that. Yes, I know that feeling. You're like, yes, okay, fine, Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh yeah, who's that? <laughs> right, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. And and you're real reluctant to kind of get on the wagon, sure. and then you finally do, and you're like, man, I was an idiot. Yeah, for mm-hmm. holding out on this. I was kind of like that for a while. Um, and, and honestly, I think as dumb as this may sound to somebody, Moana kind of tipped me over a little bit. I was like, okay, I really, really like what's going on here. Ah, Clearly, clearly the culture world really respects what he's doing. Let me start to dip my toes into this Hamilton stuff. Um, had polled actually, um, uh, fear of God listener, Chase Island and his wife are are rabid Hamilton fans. And I'd Mm. asked that I'd asked them specifically for some song samples that I might, be able to play for the kids so we only had about half a dozen tracks that were on routine play this the, some of the more hip-hop stuff oh the, sure some of the less some of the less adult stuff yeah so i didn't know really any of the broader story of the play oh okay okay yeah so all i know is like not throwing away my shot and sure right my name right. is alexander hamilton and you know like uh, rap battles or, or cabinet battles. Um, Those are brilliant, by the way. Those are oh, genius. it's amazing. Yes, it's amazing. Yes, I mean the whole piece is. But sure. 
So I, but I didn't know the kind of character through line, the emotional through line. Mm, so dude, we go to this show and like, I know I'm just parroting probably every person who's seen this thing or whatever, but like it is, it is a staggering work. Yeah. You you talk about Marilyn Marilyn Robinson and the academic intellectual prose world. Like this is a profound piece of theater genius Mm -hmm. of pop culture genius at work. And, and on top of that, dude, by the end of it, the last 30 minutes, I was a friggin' just boo hooing. Yeah. It was yeah. like, you know, you know, like you're watching a movie and you're upset or crying or emotional at the ev- events of the movie, but depending on the circumstances, you don't feel too weird about it. This is a live theater. <laughs> we actually, like, our tickets were seven rows back. Like, we did not, it was a gift. So, uh, it's Thanksgiving. So, it was a gift to us uh, from some dear friends. And, like, so we're seven rows back. You are in this giant theater with all these other patrons. It is sold out, has been for months. And you're watching the show. Like I am boo hooing thinking, can I get out of this building? Because I'm such a mess right now. I mean, sure. it, it yeah, was yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I was so emotional about by the ending of it. And even now, just as a funny kind of um, afterward on that story, like, even now, knowing the arc of the story and listening to the music in the car, if I'm going anywhere important, I, I do in-home sales for work. If sure. I'm going to someone's house, if I'm going to just a normal type of appointment where I have to be present and visible to other people, I can't listen to the last 30 minutes of that oh, soundtrack. Yeah, Because yeah. I'll, just, I'll just start feeling stuff. And get all teary and be like, oh, no, it's okay. It's quiet uptown, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh anyway, so I had the, had the privilege and good fortune of being able to see that show, and it truly was a, a, a staggering piece of culture. You know, it's funny because I have never had the privilege to see the show. My wife and I have tried multiple times to get into it, uh, like to the presentations that have been out here in California. Right. Um, and... I, I have. I've tried very hard to see it, but have not yet had that privilege. I do have the soundtrack, and just in the three or four times that I've listened to the soundtrack, beginning to end, you can sure. you can gleam a lot because I don't right. know this, but I get the impression based on the length of the soundtrack that ninety percent of it is sung, and ninety percent yes. of the story is is told through that music. So listening to it all, you you do kind of get the flow of it all, and it is powerfully moving. I'm right there with you with that with that uh, final sort of 20, 30 minutes or so. It's it's who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Oh, Stop man. it. Oh, my gosh. It's, <laughs> man, it's, it's, it's great. No, it's fantastic. So, so yeah, uh, in, in my way of just, you know, being able to hear the soundtrack, I completely am right there with you. So, um, so yeah, I guess that uh, that concludes another edition of A Book of Book Book <laughs> what? What was that last one? <laughs> I'm not sure. That was the bass baritone. That was like the big. That was the drunk. That was the drunk chicken. No, that was <laughs> that was it was a weird attempt at like a foghorn leghorn kind of like. Oh, I say, What have you been uh, watching? That I read. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of all those birds, um, yeah. So yeah, so bird, bird, bird. Birdie, da bird, da bird, da bird, bird. Um. So okay. So 
the okay. with a lot of these Hitchcock films, you had not or you had seen you had not seen them before or had only limited sort of scant knowledge with it. But I know you had said before that you'd seen Psycho, of course, you'd seen Vertigo, and you'd seen The Birds before, right? And Rear Window. Oh, and Rear Window. So, yes. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So the only ones I was that were completely new were Shadow of a Doubt, Strangers on a Plane, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Rope. Okay, okay, gotcha. Were there others? Uh, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. But The Birds, yeah, I'd seen that years ago. I don't remember exactly the context, which makes perfect sense. And honestly, I think my viewing this time was a little more fun. Like, I, ah, I remember... Okay, sure, yeah. I wonder. We didn't watch it in college, did we? Like for a class? You know, I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm pretty positive we did not watch it in class, except for maybe like a scene or two, maybe in reference yeah. points. Because there's a lot well, of I guess I just, moments. But I guess I just feel like wherever whatever the context was, I previously saw it. It feels like it was academic in my recollection, but that that may be totally misremembering. Um, gotcha. So so watching it this time, I was a bit more kind of having a little fun with it and, and enjoying it a little bit more, but, but no, I, I mean, I like it. I think there's, there's some, a, a little funny diatribe I'll, I'll make on likes, dislikes that, that like the characters, I, I feel like I referenced this on um, strangers on a train last week. None of the characters are like really, they're, they're all well performed and, and kind of well written. Sure. But none of them are really like that likable. You don't you don't watch sure, the birds yeah. and be like, oh, I love when Tippy Hedren does such and such. You know, sure, just, no, that's true. Yeah. Um. So so from that standpoint, it's a little uh, dissonant. It is interesting. I, I kind of like last week. I did read up on it, but didn't write down any specific trivial bits. But but one to throw in the mix here. I don't know if you saw this. Like, I think the tone he was after actually was kind of a note of humor. Like there was a mm, sense mm. of trying to be, he's, I, I think what I remember, what I recall reading is they knew, Hey, we're selling the movie, the birds, like this is what, right, and right. it's, it's Hitchcock. So like, you, you know, going in, there's some sort of thriller kind of horror aspect to birds, mm, but mm. what they chose to do was start playing with the tone Whereas, like, for instance, when she's on the skiff or the boat or whatever. Right, right, and, right. And that one attacks. It's, it's, you're a little thrown. You're, cause it's almost humorous, but it's not. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting that that was real intentional to try to kind of play with the tone a good bit. And also, I don't know if you saw this in your findings. It was not initially like, not that it was poorly received, mm. but it has gained traction over time. Yes. It, it was it was kind of neutrally and or only mildly positively received at its release. That yes, I heard the same thing. And what's interesting about that is that so once this was the project immediately following Psycho. And oh, okay. and Psycho was a, you know, uh, they didn't have the term at this time, but as close to a blockbuster as 1960 could have seen, um, it just had an incredible financial windfall. Um, and so anything by comparison would almost have been viewed as slightly disappointing. Um, but yes, it has, it, it, I think, by my estimation, when people think of Alfred Hitchcock that are not like cinephiles, I think they will likely think of the shower scene from Psycho and a bunch of birds. Those are the two things that, that, right, that become right. so irrevocably associated with him. And I find that so interesting because both of those films, Psycho and uh, The Birds, are 
two films that in the sort of longer strain of his catalog are very out of sync. Like he didn't he didn't make any other films that feel like Psycho or like the birds, you know, they have none of right. the typical Hitchcock staples in them. Um, so I just find it slightly ironic that that's what's most irrevocably associated with him in terms of as a filmmaker to the lay person. Again, cinephiles are going to think of different things, but uh, but yeah, I, it wasn't it wasn't initially very uh, as well received as Psycho, um, but has become some, sort of one of the the staple mentions when you're talking about Hitchcock's catalog. And again, there's I think there's a lot of interesting things in this film. This definitely would not rank in my mind in like the top five, maybe a top ten of Hitch some of Hitchcock's best films. Um Really? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like for you for you personally, you're you're saying wouldn't necessarily rank that high. Because it is interesting now that yeah. you I hear you say this a second ago. I think why something like Rope and even kind of Shadow of a Doubt to the layperson feel so anomalous is because psycho and the birds are so monumental in right, his catalog right, yes. that you naturally associate a much more insidious plot or a much more fantastical kind of sure sure uh, trap trappings to the story anyway i'm sorry go no, ahead. no 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 that, yeah i mean it's and and that is interesting so for so for me personally i mean i've i've seen every hitchcock film about uh uh Last year, I watched all 53 of them in chronological succession through the year. And so looking at them, there are films of his that are immensely more strong just as a film than The Birds is. The Birds has some... Did you, did you have, previous to that deep dive, did you have a lot of association with individuals or, I mean, I know psycho, you have a history with, but yeah, Uh, a lot of history with psycho with vertigo with rear window. Um, Rope was a film that I had seen before and really admired and loved. I had seen a lot, probably most of the films before doing that big, deep watch. Uh, There were really only four or five of the films that I had never seen before. So most of them I had only mild to moderate association with. Now, The Birds was one Mm -hmm. that obviously I was very familiar with. I had seen it probably two or three times before watching it last year and and certainly before watching it for for this one. But, uh, But yeah, I mean, I think the thing that always gets me about it is it does have a power that I think is unique in his catalog. It has an effect, especially in certain scenes, that I think make it more resonant and make it more uh, lasting of an impact than some of his other films that I would regard as objectively better films. And so it's interesting. So like there's, we'll get into specifics of likes, dislikes and, and scares in just a moment. But I just think there are certain individual pieces of the birds that, yeah, once you see it, that is a deeply impactful moment. And I think it's very hard to forget that. And uh, not all of his films, even though they're, they're, many of them are tremendously wonderful, not all of his fa- films have that kind of visceral power that The Birds does. And I think that's why it's so uh, you know, closely associated to him and with him. And, but you know, a, a top ten would be difficult because like, of films of Alfred Hitchcock that you need to see, The Birds is on the list. Like if there were to, right, if there right. were to be a top ten, maybe even a top five of like, hey, Alfred Hitchcock films you need to see, uh, like The Birds is going to be up there. It's an important film for his catalog, but uh, if you're looking at it from an objective sort of critical eye, not one of his absolute best. But I do think in certain ways one of his most memorable and impactful. 
Um, so, with, but with that having said, let's let's go ahead and dive into maybe some likes, dislikes, or something like that. Um, I'll start with a with a couple of things. One thing that I really genuinely love, even though I don't know that I would have initially thought of it as something I appreciate very much, is the fact that there is no musical score. Did you note that this yeah. time around? Yeah. Um, you know, I I think I was subconsciously aware of it. I, I, sure. I, I remember distinctly at about the two-thirds mark wondering to myself, like, I can't remember if I've heard music or not. Yes. And then once I was sort of doing a bit of a research after the fact, did see, like, there is no, other than her playing the piano and then the chorus of the children, there's really nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so that, yeah, so all of the music in it, the 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 couple of moments of musical cue would be things that the characters would also hear, right. not not an actual score. Uh, longtime uh, Alfred Hitchcock collaborator Bernard Herrmann is credited as sound consultant in the film, since there is no musical score for him to be credited with. It's all just the flapping yeah. of wings and the cawing of of Hitch, birds. Hitch Hitch was just like paging Mr. Herman, <laughs> Mr. Herman. You say that every I'm time. Call at the, yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but I do love that because a couple of moments <laughs> that I would mention in scares, um, a different film might've been inclined to enhance some of the scare moments with some musical cues. And I think definitively some of these moments are way more powerful and impactful in the fact that they are not enhanced by some sort of musical manipulation that you just witness the moment and you're stuck with what it all means uh, or, or the lack of what it means, which we'll get into later. So, but yeah, so, so yeah, I love that, that there's, that there's no real musical score. I love the way that the threat of the birds builds over time. Like it's a good 20 to 25 minutes before, even though they've been talking about birds in different contexts, you know, the opening scene in the bird shop with the, you know, the love birds and the canaries and everything, even though they've been talking about those things, I love that uh, the, the threat is a steadily building sort of threat, right to the birds swooping down and attacking her as she's ferrying over to the mainland, and then the um, you know then the casual mention of like yeah the chickens won't eat something something's wrong right the I loved that oh yeah. my gosh isn't that great it's just this little subtle ominous touch to things that I that I I find very very effective particularly when it gets into the more outright attacks that the birds begin to right. um to lash out on on people well so. it's funny you bring that up this is a little down my likes dislikes list more a, an inquiry than anything I, I'd be curious how we define the word blockbuster because watching this I know jaws is often considered like the the ground zero for that um, or at least you know the 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 prototype ultimately you know something about the increasing scale of the threat in the birds had that feeling mm, of like yeah, yeah yeah bigger broader you know epic might be the wrong word but just the scale keeps going up in terms of the, absolutely the threat level absolutely and i mean in terms of like so uh, i don't know from what I can text purely a dollars number, you know what I mean? Like no, I from what I contextualize, blockbuster is it's absolutely just what people have lined around the block to see. That's why that's why it's called that. Um, from my from my understanding, the reason it was called a blockbuster is because people lined up around the corner for you know apparent miles to see Jaws, and that's that's why. But in terms of like the the have you have you ever seen the the, the Twitter account that's the last blockbuster that. 
Twitter account is brilliant. It's <laughs> oh, it's hysterical. Oh my gosh, it's genius. I'm I'm remiss to actually I didn't you know expect to to bring it up, but I know, I know I'm remiss I know. to bring up a quote. But man, they are genius. They are absolutely. I think I saw brilliant. one of the more recent ones where it just said. Do we really exist? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, there. Oh gosh, I can't remember the exact wording. I probably shouldn't even try to quote it. I'm going to cut this out if I can't get it close to right. But it was something like, "Yeah, those of you who keep, you know, coming into the parking lot to use our Wi-Fi, like at least come in and rent something." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, it was so great. No, uh, no, I love That's that one. Genius. Um. But yeah, I mean, in terms of how this film is really is really structured, this is a classic horror film. I mean, it's structured like a traditional creature feature uh, in the sense that it, you know, yes, the threat escalates as the narrative progresses, and in many ways, uh, there, well, there's absolutely no reason. Spoiler alert given for why the birds are doing this. There's tons of speculation. I, 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 I adore that. Yes. Oh, me too. It's one of my favorite elements of the film. Is well, that, it's, it's, it's funny. You talk happens. about you talk about the horror structure. There's almost, now this, one might say this is a stretch, but there's almost a Mogwai-Gremlin sort of dichotomy happening because that opening sequence in the bird shop and then you've got the lovebirds in the car. There's a really great little sequence of the, yeah. the, the lovebirds kind of bob, bobbing <laughs> back and forth as the car curves. It's this real innocuous, real sweet they mm-hmm. are birds, they're harmless, uh, and then that gets sort of thrown on its head when they actually start attacking, and, and oh, you, know, you just great. explicitly stated this. I love that, that it just kind of is. And it's funny mm-hmm. because, honestly, I thought about another movie watching this that is garbage, uh, but is The Happening, and how, like, <laughs> what... Now, um, ignore the, the plot stupidity of that movie. In other words, like Wahlberg's performance and whatnot, but, like... How much would, and I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm genuinely positing this, how much would a, affection for the happening change if it didn't explicitly say, the trees are killing us, you know? Oh, like, right, right, if they didn't provide an explanation. Yeah, right. I don't know that it would at all, I don't know, I truly don't, but something about this movie where a, a natural sort of element that is pretty benign in the real mm-hmm. suddenly suddenly becomes not just threatening, but, but sinister and, and ominous. Sure. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a really great, I love that they never, cause you don't, you don't need it like that. Right. Because right. as a viewer, as a viewer, you kind of start imagining and, and, and overlaying your imaginings onto motive and intent and sure. Why? And, and that's kind of more fun than, the movie explicitly stating something. No, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. What what else did you have on your likes dislikes? I've got I've got one oh, or two brother. more. But let's go over to you. I've got like a big wall of paragraph here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it, and it's really just circling on one one of my few dislikes, and really it's you know I guess ultimately it's kind of a like too. So her trying to deliver these damn birds gave me. Legend of Zelda PTSD. So <laughs> this is so random, but like previous to Breath of the Wild, total nerd out for the moment. Breath of the oh, Wild is an amazing, amazing piece of video game artistry that righted what so many previous Zelda entries get so wrong. And that's you can more or less complete the major beats and then go straight to the end. Well, dude, I'm an adult. This is before I had three kids. But when I had still mm-hmm. two kids, previous entries of Zelda, I would, and I'm not like, I, 
I guess by hobby, I am a quote unquote gamer, but not by sure. time investment. I like video games, uh, but yeah, I don't. Right. I I know myself enough to know I can't devote gobs and gobs of time and energy to stupid video sure. games because I would do it. Yeah. I would do it. Yeah. You know, I'm that guy. Well, previous Zelda entries, the designers weren't wise enough to give me the Cliff's Notes version that I craved, which is like, please, God, don't make me go through all the stupid <laughs> nuts and bolts to get to the end of this game that I just want to finish so I can move on with my life and say that I checked this thing off the list. Well, sure, sure. Oh, my gosh. So in, in video games, too, there's this trope called the fetch quest. You know, it's like. Oh, just, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, you're yeah. just like, hey. Reed needs some feed for the chicken. So, oh, well, Reed needs his chicken feed, so oh, I got to take Reed his chicken feed. Well, I get a few dollars to <laughs> increase the size of my arrow quiver, you know? So I got more arrows. Okay, so that's the basic idea. Well, in this sure, right, movie, right. it's like, okay, one, you just met this dude once. and Right, right. And you order birds. They get overnighted the next day. Okay. Well, then you take the birds. Oh, guess what? Brenner's <laughs> Brenner's not home. He's out of town. It's what he does every weekend. Sounds great. You could leave him here, but they're going to die. Well, I can't leave him here, so I guess my only choice is to drive the 70 miles out of town uh, to <laughs> Bodega, Bodega Bay. Bay. Thank you. Um, and <laughs> now I'm in Bodega Bay 70 miles later and three hours of gameplay. And you meet, you meet, you, oh, you meet the general store proprietor who may be a sweet old guy, but he, but he may be a creeper. Who knows? Oh, well, my gosh. you get directions to the Brenner place. Oh, hey, by the way, I'd love to surprise him. Can I surprise him? I want to take the back road to surprise him. Well, guess what? There's no back road. What do you have to do? You got to rent a boat. All right. Well, <laughs> if you want to rent a boat, you got to gain access and you have to know the Brenner girl's name. Okay, well, what is the Brenner girl's name, Mr. Proprietor, who may be a creeper? And he's like, well, I don't know, sweet cheeks, but oh I gosh. think it might be this, but I'm not real sure. If you want, <laughs> if you really want to know the Brenner girl's name, you got to go to the hotel, make a right, past the schoolhouse, you're going to see a red <laughs> mailbox. Good oh Lord. <laughs> this is a lot of work for someone you just met that one time. I'm surprised, Reed. I am genuinely surprised there's not like the added step of now go to boat school to learn how to drive a boat. <laughs> oh no, you took so long at boat school that Brenner's now back in San Francisco, but oh you've ingratiated yourself with the locals so much that you have to now cut the ribbon in the Thanksgiving parade or some other oh nonsense. My God. All of this done while you're wearing heels, by the way, and in the same green <laughs> outfit. The whole time. Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. You it's so true. It is. Oh my gosh, she's yeah. Oh on top gosh, of the yes. stupid fetch quest, that's all these stupid steps. She's wearing the same <laughs> green outfit the whole movie. Like she's there for like well, yes. four days straight, and she's got perfect hair. She's in heels. She doesn't stink. Clear, I guess you know, because even though she's wearing <laughs> the same outfit, is she showering? We don't know. You know, does that outfit stink by now? You know, she was out oh on the water. Gosh. That stinks. Yeah. That yeah. Certainly agree, by agree. now, bird poop has gotten on it. <laughs> you know come on it's the birds that is one that is one like strong continuity error <laughs> all of these attacks no bird poop. no bird poop. none 
none not not a lick um so but like what's funny to me is is i'm just being silly but yeah, yeah. no that was a glorious call out to what is absolutely like it, it's just ridiculous the layer upon layer that she has to go to to get these and she does it all get. happily Okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No frustration. No frustration. Right, 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 moment, right, right. Just a moment or two of like. That's not a real person. <laughs> I know, right? Like she evidently she bat that minor bird that she was buying had to have by three o'clock. That whatever she can get that like some other day, right, or something. Right. Now, that that quest is complete. <laughs> that bird's dead. <laughs> bird's just sitting there. That right. is and why can, the birds are attacking because she let the miner die. And it was friends with everybody. They're like, we've had enough. We've had yeah. enough. That minor bird can talk. The first thing it's going to say would be, screw you, you crazy. <laughs> <man."> so, <laughs> but no, so like, like the funny thing about it to me, though, is that, so what's interesting, Hitchcock has the, we've talked about it before in other episodes, Hitchcock has the staple to his films that is called the MacGuffin, the thing that you keep thinking the whole movie's going to be about, and then it turns out that's not really what he was remotely interested in at all. What's interesting to me about this is that the, the MacGuffin to this film almost seems to be all of the interpersonal relationships that develop in the first hour of the film, and then for the last hour, just Hitchcock could not care less about like all of the stuff, like it, they develop things with uh, Melanie's mother, like she's estranged from her mother, and all this stuff about the conversation she has with um, uh, Suzanne Pleshett's character, which whose name I'm forgetting at the moment, but I'll look it up. Um, but uh, you know, she has this conversation about like, oh yeah, so he's got this mother infatuation, or you know, like Lydia right. is really sort of controlling, and all of these different things that layer upon layer of conversation happen in the first hour of the movie. That once the birds start attacking, it's like we don't care. Now all of a sudden, it's like we've got foul play. Shelter. <laughs> that is all it is that's it was all it right is there it was movie. right there for the plucking how, how long did you think about that before you did did you for the plucking you wow <laughs> <laughs> how long have you thought oh about man this, uh the it's plucking like, one got, the plucking one was in the moment the foul play i've been trying to figure out when to use it yeah. Well, you you succeeded. So, um, but no. So, like, it's just it, it's just really interesting to me uh, that that yeah, all of those interpersonal relationships that they develop up just could not matter less to the ultimate resolution of the film, which is man, these birds be crazy. We got to get out of town. Like that's really all that, that's really all that we've got to go on in the end of the film. Um, one of I, the things. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna no. make an X Files reference. Oh no, please do. So. The only reason I knew a cast member in this show, in this movie, Kathy, the kid. Oh, yes. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, that's yeah, Veronica she, Cartwright. She went on to a lot of great uh, character work. In, yeah, in well, yeah, my, yeah. my first knowledge of her was she shows up in X-Files season five as Jeffrey Spender's mother. <laughs> wow. Just FYI. That's and she, awesome. And she meets... She meets uh, Fox Mulder, whom she's infatuated with, and she says, oh, I'm going to pee the floor. And he goes, well, don't do that. Oh you like this? This just suddenly this... became an X-Files episode. Yeah. <laughs> don't they all? Don't they, they do, all? They do. <laughs> <laughs> did, you have any, did you have any more specific likes, dislikes, or anything? Because uh, otherwise, most no, I'm of... Good. I'm good. Yeah, most of the rest of mine are in the scares category. Um, I do think... Psycho notwithstanding that this is one of Hitchcock's scariest films. I genuinely I genuinely feel that way. I'm sure I'm sure you have a list. I'm just going to 
yeah. we can maybe throw, uh, throw a few out. volley back and forth here. Um, so the very first, I mean, I just love it. It's not really very scary as a moment in and of itself, but I love the execution of the very first seagull that swipes down and nicks Melanie in the head. Yeah. Like, I just love it because it's so out of nowhere to her and to us. Um, we know the film's called The Birds. It, I'm, I'm sure audiences at the time knew something was going to be up with these birds or whatever. But um, but just her traveling on, it's it's like a warning shot across the bow for the right. you know assault that's coming. And I just, I love it. It sends a chill up my spine every single time. Just this small little innocuous thing, just a little nick. But then we we're we know something more intense and more assaultive is coming. And so I just, I love it. I love it so much. You know, I think that um, while some of the birds in flight attacks are, you know, readily sort of, you know, you can kind of see the strings as it were. Um, sure. I did not, I intentionally didn't research. Like I love the notion of just buying into the movie magic, those scenes. I'm thinking specifically of the jungle gym, which is terrifying. Uh, especially mm. when juxtaposed with those damn kids singing over and over. Oh um, my gosh. Is, is the movie magic of like, how did they get all those birds on there? Oh like, wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, yeah. that is intense. Yeah. They trained, they trained just a small army of birds to go. So on that scene, that scene is genius. It is utterly genius because I love that it's like one or two birds are landing there. Right, mm -hmm. so it yeah. keeps cutting back and forth. Yeah. One or two birds are landing, and you're already feeling uneasy. You know what's coming, but you're already feeling a little bit uneasy. And here's what I love about the way that scene is structured, because you know they're landing, they're landing, and then when she catches, you know, it lingers on her for a little while. When she catches the bird in flight, for a moment, you as the audience think, oh. That's that's the real threat, you know. Like, oh, what's that bird gonna do? Or you know, right. like, like, oh, that bird's gonna suddenly follow that bird, attack. right? And you literally do that. <laughs> you follow the bird, and so here's what's great. So, uh, so our um, benevolent benefactor Tyler Smith, uh, he does some teaching, and he's also doing some teaching for some after school programs for some younger children, and um, he showed them this specific scene in the in the birds not uh i don't think he progressed on to show them like say, the more, that's, the more that's drastic stuff pretty intense. but just but just know that that one individual setup and it was funny because it's always a fascinating thing to sort of think these movies are old what films and what moments in films are still going to hold like a certain power right. after so many years well he gave them a little bit of context hey these birds are dangerous they've been attacking people and when that bird that we're following for you know a few seconds finally lands amidst an army of birds that are already sitting there he said the whole classroom just did a like <gasps> like like an audible gasp that's because awesome. and th and that and that's the moment that you get it's like okay just a couple you know three or four right. birds sitting over there and then when that one lands and you just see all of them there like yeah. you have that visceral reaction of like oh crap <laughs> this well, is gone I mean, very badly you know we I don't know if we did on the Feeling Film episode, Reed and I, if you are unaware of this, we were on Feeling Film with Aaron White discussing Halloween about a month ago. and But there's a lot of commentary about Halloween, the new one, and the baby scene, the crib scene. Yes. Um, yes. And how willing or not one should be in, in that type of storytelling setting. I mean, it is pretty ballsy. 
to be like, yeah, I'm going to have these birds like assault. Yes. Screaming, running children. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and peck them and make them bleed. Like that that's a pretty bold, strong filmmaking oh, choice. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 incredibly effective too. It's very frightening. And of course, you know, culminating in that, you know, this isn't really in my scares, but you know, of course it's worth mentioning. Uh when Suzanne Pleshett's character, Annie, I looked it up, uh, when when her body is discovered right outside, like that's that that's pretty upsetting um at least that at least it was for me in initial viewing and i always feel a certain pang after that because you've come to really like her character and knowing that she died in 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 some version of trying to protect all these kids and get these kids into the house that's that's a terribly sort of sad well and, and especially and, because kathy's line uh oh yes. mama spender's line she says she pushed me inside and then they were all over her Oh my gosh, it's horrifying. Yeah, it's really horrifying. One more item on my scares list is just the, and this is another one. I mean, that that playground scene where the um, birds are all on the monkey bars, that's that's very much, it is more powerful by not having any musical enhancement. Yeah. But it is eerie how quiet Mr. Forsett's house is when Lydia arrives at it and she's walking through it and it is just completely quiet and then when she walks into his bedroom and sees the devastation that the birds have right. laid there and then discovers his dead eyeless corpse right oh, right my gosh it is that is and that is hands down the goriest thing that Hitchcock ever included in any of his films and one of the most alarming just visual images and and, and then again no accentuation by music nothing just yeah. the image and you don't even get an accentuation of her screaming she she's so right in shock of what she's seen that she's she's choking rather than screaming and i think that's terribly effective as well it's just the silence of it is so eerie and creepy and very very effective i mean just last on my scares list the the whole last run on the house i mean that's that's pretty oh epic. my gosh i mean yes. just even as devastating as melanie entering the upstairs bedroom is and it is just the image of them pecking through the front door oh, into the door gosh. i mean it's that's intense yes. and Terribly I, think, I think that's like earlier in the conversation when i mentioned the kind of entertainment factor of this viewing i didn't recall on a previous viewing being that kind of swept up in the final run you know that final sequence oh right 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 I mean, right it's it's intense when she gets stuck in the upstairs bedroom. Like her body is blocking the door. Oh, like that's hardcore. Yes. Well, and we should mention something about the scene. I made a casual reference last week uh, where when the man was in Strangers on a Train, when the man is crawling under the runaway merry-go-round yeah. and then Hitchcock insisted he would never do a stunt uh, as dangerous as that again. And I made a casual comment that he lied. Um, that scene, that individual scene took a week to film and was for Tippi Hedren terribly traumatic because those birds were literally tied to her. And what? in really? yes, they were there were real birds literally tied to her, could not fly away. She did receive certain slashes and pecks that were completely real. Wow. Um, and then and then he so it must be said for the sake of uh, you know uh, Tippi Hedren is still alive and she reports on this frequently. 
this is not uh, something that is systemic in Hitchcock's works, uh, especially among some of his leading ladies, but Hitchcock had what can at best be deemed uh, an inappropriate obsession with Tippi Hedren, and then at worst, you know, something that is that was all-out harassment and possibly even assault. And as as most closely evidenced by the 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 execution of that scene and how it was almost it almost became torturous for her to be stuck in that room in that moment with those birds tied by thread to her clothes so that they could not fly away and for a week. So so it, it I mean, it is a harrowing scene. But a lot of it is harrowing because much of it is somewhat authentic, and that right, that right. disheartens me a bit to say because I love Hitchcock's work. But I mean that he was he was frequently in ways that are occasionally charming. He was fascinated by murder and things like that, and would get somewhat cutesy about it. But then there was there was all there was apparently also a little edge of a legitimate somewhat sadistic side to him uh, that is not so cute and charming. Definitely playing out in the filming of the birds, but, but yeah, that scene, that scene is nightmarish. Um, I think you'll remember, you know, pivoting away from that subject pretty dramatically. M night Shyamalan with signs, which we covered, um, said a lot of his inspiration for the, the climactic moments being just centralized around that house were inspired by the, the final half hour of the birds, how like all of this stuff is happening outside, but they are confined to this house and how, these, the specific threat is invading their home and how they're navigating with it. And so I, I thought about that and wanted to mention that and just, just yeah, it is it is terribly effective in its claustrophobia. It is terribly effective in the And, and of course, the, the final shot of the film, when they open up and see just everything appears to just be covered in birds. Right, The right. power lines, the trees, everything is just covered in them. And it's, it's very overwhelming. Uh, that throwaway line earlier in the film where uh, the woman, the ornithologist, is, is basically saying, like, yeah, they, they outnumber us by billions. Like, right. we, would, we yeah. would stand no chance. And I'm just like, that is terribly haunting. But, again, very, very effective. Um, did you have anything else on your on your specific scares list? I don't think I had anything else. Um, you referenced the farm, the IPEC scene, the the farmer. Um, sure, sure. You you alluded to this earlier, but not in this context per se. But just the audio screeches of the seagulls are really really creepy. Yeah, and uh, from what I understand is, um, when initial audiences left the theater of the premiere, they had hidden. Um, Oh no. They had hidden speakers in the trees. Wow. And 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 the, yeah, and so like when people left, they would like from the trees would hear like that cawing and that sound. I'm like, "Oh my gosh. That's very gimmicky, but dude, I would be so freaked out coming out of sure. a movie like that for the first time and hearing that. Oh my gosh, that would be yeah, that would be very very intense and harrowing." Well, if uh my my we can pivot to theme if you if you're okay with that. My theme is a bit more of sort of an exploration, a conversation starter, if you will, uh, something that really hinges thematically for me uh, about this film is the sequence in the diner. So uh, about midway through the movie, maybe a little bit more than midway, uh, immediately following the attack on the school children that we keep referencing when the, you know, the birds flooded the monkey bars and everything, there's a scene in the diner Melanie comes into the diner, and this diner is populated 
with an unusual variety of different types of characters. Um, you've got Melanie, who's just been the victim of these bird attacks, but then you also have this very intellectual and somewhat snobbish ornithologist who thinks she knows everything about birds. Uh, you also have the the bartender, kind of the everyman bartender there. You've got the prophet of doom sitting over in the corner saying it's the end of the world and quoting Bible verses. You've got the mother who's very protective of her children and then also eventually blames this occurrence mysteriously on the presence of Melanie Daniels in the in Bodega Bay. Um, so you have this different assortment of characters. You've got the fisherman who's just annoyed that the birds are, are everywhere doing this. You've got the businessman who just wants to destroy them all. It stood out to me that there's this wide array of different approaches to the chaos that's at hand, some of which take it very seriously and want to do something about it. Some of it had just seemed perturbed and annoyed by it, uh, some of which seemed like I don't know. It, it In the differing, it stood out to me, particularly in this viewing, the differing perspectives on the problem that stood out. The ornithologist, again, very intellectual. She understands birds, and she, she gets cut off at one time because she's about to say, she's like, humankind are the ones that make this planet unbearable to live on. You know, not the birds. The birds bring beauty. You know, they would never attack. That You know, all of these kinds of things. She's very dismissive of the problem because of her vast amount of education. And then you got the prophet of doom sitting over there just like, you know, it's the end of the world, you know? And then <laughs> I forget exactly what Bible verse he quotes, but some weird thing like, you know, consider the birds. They, they neither toil nor spin, but, you know, the Lord feeds them. You know, like he's, he's just basically, again, doomsaying uh, right. almost to a fault. But then, it just, again, it just began to stand out to me. And what I, what I want to maybe explore for a second is you and I both have praised, and, and certainly rightfully so, that there is no cheap, easy explanation given for why they're doing this thing. And you and I have talked on this show before many times about how you know sometimes things will simply not make sense. Sometimes things are just simply, you know, there is no easy, cheap answer to the troubles, the struggles, the problems of what has entered your life, the apocalypse, the chaos that has come, forced its way into your life. There is no cheap, easy answer. As we talked extensively a couple of weeks ago on The Stand, sometimes it is merely a thing that has happened. But the diner scene is this interesting little microcosm to me of the different ways in which people will try to understand and contextualize the chaos that has abruptly entered into their world. Sure. Some people, you know, like the ornithologist, will try to rationalize and, and maybe even dismiss the problem uh, by their vast amount of educational knowledge, which is, you know, I mean, she's smart and she knows what she's talking about. She just has no contextual through line to this current problem that the birds, for some reason, we can't figure out have suddenly unified and are attacking us all. Right, <laughs> like they just, right. you know, they they've just decided to make this a war. Um, so you've got her, and then some people turn to a sort of religious zealotry, a sort of apocalyptic doomsaying language. Some uh, just simply want to do away with the pesty problem, like the businessman who's just wanting to finish his drink, and he says we should just blast them all away from the sky, just get rid of all the birds. Uh, the fisherman who's just basically annoyed by the inconvenience of it. And again, I just find it fascinating the all of the different ways in which we will use mental gymnastics to try to rationalize, contextualize, understand, possibly even overcome 
certain threats that sometimes just don't even have any rationale behind them. They don't even have necessarily any concrete substantive reason why they're happening, or at least, and maybe this is more prescient to the, to the film The Birds, at least a reason we could possibly ascertain. There, there may be a reason, but we'll never get at it. We'll never right. understand it because we can't communicate with this force of nature, as it were. And, uh, and it's just fascinating to me how many ways we will try to, instead of, you know, maybe trying to protect or escape the threat at hand, uh, we will instead try to rationalize, to try to find some way to get on top of it. And again, that's, to me, nothing more than a, you know, a, a fascinating, hopefully fascinating conversation starter and less a... Um, you know, less a cheap, easy bumper sticker of how to navigate chaos. You know, like I, right, I don't have any right. better answers than anybody else, but I just find it interesting that humans will try uh, very desperately to contextualize those things, often to our futility, if not to our peril. Um, uh, one thing you, I think you said early on, but then left off your list there at the end, not just intellectualize and rationalize but blame you know blame shift oh and right yes yes the 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 woman with her kid and sure sure the hysterical mother i think i think yeah i think you make a really strong point there about you know when a chaotic element enters a a, a societal sample the yeah. ways the ways that are represented that we'll look to to try to uh, make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. I think I think what I'm if if you sense like hesitation, I'm just trying to figure out like, and maybe it's not there to figure out, and that's the point you're trying to make. But when you know, it's it's one thing when it's a fantastical scenario like you know the bird suddenly attacking us, and it's another when it's like I don't know if you meant to step towards this, but I think of things like you know, political hot button issues where just there's Mm. everybody has an opinion and no one has an a rarely to never does anyone choose a direction to move sure based based on based on compromise and or data and or, you know, collective consensus more often than not, we just sort of let it hang there. It's just that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. just the, like I, don't, I guess I'm trying to figure out, and I know you're not saying this. Like, there's a way that we could get real nihilistic there. Like, sure, sure. there, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. there is no answer. Everyone, the birds are just here, and they're going to attack you. And you could run, but there's billions of them, and there's just you. You know what I mean? Like, we, Sh- sure, right, right, right. And so I'm just trying to figure out like when we're in these areas. I mean, I referenced last week talking about guns and schools and things like that like there are passionate passionate arguments to be made of varying angles there and yet sometimes it feels like no one's still doing anything you know and and i'm picking something real specific there but trying to make an analog to the real world and just trying to gauge you know what does that mean for us individually because when we encounter forces of chaos in our society, in our culture, I don't know that, and maybe this is, you know, you and I talk about Enneagram nines and fours often. I don't, I, maybe this is my, my personality type coming out. Like, I don't know that there's real strong cause to poll every demographic to know how they would handle this as much as just, no, you, you, 
you call the bird in this case, uh, the movie's case, you call these birds bad and you figure out how to either deal with them or move away from them so that they won't deal right, with you. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but no, no, it does. Uh, well, and something that I think, so it's perplexing. It is, it is. And I think that we have a really hard time coping with things whose impulses and ends are hidden to us are mysterious to us we as as mankind do not accept that we do not like that we don't like for something to have a mysterious impulse and a mysterious aim we um we need to contextualize we need to unpack it we need to try to um we need to try to get on top of it, as it were. And so there's there's an old song, uh, good Lord, I love his music so much, and just in the fact that it, the catalog is closed, um, I deeply grieve the fact that Rich Mullins has passed away. Passed I, away knew that, I knew that's who you were about to say. That's right. Uh, passed away about 20 years ago. But one of, the thing, one of my very favorite of his songs is a song called Hard to Get, from the from the Jesus album, mm-hmm. um, specifically his like um, the the Jesus demos, and one of the things that stands out to me is that there is a there's a way that we try to basically try we we try to find some sort of answer because we think in accepting the answer, then it won't hurt anymore, it won't upset us anymore, it won't. You know, it, it it won't be what it currently is, which is scary and inexplicable. I, I can't at the moment recall right off the top of my head if it was from this song, but I know that there was a um, song by Rich Mullins where the, the line that's coming to me, I thought it was from the song Hard to Get, but now I'm not so sure. The line that I'm quoting, and maybe I should look it up and just cite it directly, um, is, is the line that says, I know that it would not hurt any less, even if it could be explained. And that's what I'm scratching at Hmm. is that it's like the explanation won't take away the hurt that you can contextualize or understand certain things, but it's still going to be painful or it's still going to be upsetting. So sometimes ultimately, and this is what is what I'm kind of scratching at. Sometimes ultimately the striving for an explanation is relatively a futile endeavor. Right. Not because it's bad to try to understand something, but because if your ultimate goal is, if I understand this, it won't hurt anymore, that's not going to happen. That's probably not going to be the case. Maybe it will help ease the passage of time, or it might, or it might prove some other benefit, but it is still going to be painful and scary and chaotic. The passage of Scripture that, that comes to mind for this is uh, is more of a narrative story. I'm only going to read one portion of it, but in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are, are, are walking along, and they see a man that the Scriptures say were, was blind from birth, and the disciples asked a question, and of course they were being insensitive, but we should give them some grace because we ourselves are terribly insensitive most of the time. They asked a question of Jesus, and they said, they call him Rabbi. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So before I move on from that, there's a couple of presumptions there. They're presuming that somebody had to have sinned for this man to be born blind. It couldn't have just been a, a coincidence of 
time and condition or whatever else. They assume there, that it must be some sort of punishment for this happening. And that's what that woman, that hysterical mother in the diner, that's what she's struggling with. You know what? This all happened when you, Melanie Daniels, showed up in Bodega Bay. It must be your fault. It has to be your fault. And I find, and I say this uh, hopefully sympathetically and compassionately, that so many times when something happens, we have a tendency to view it, especially if it's bad or negative, to view it as a punishment. To view right, it as like, right. you know, well, well, this must be happening because of some bad thing that I did or some bad thing that somebody else did. And Jesus' answer to the disciples who are like, hey, who sinned, uh, this man or his parents? By the way, can we just say what a stupid question it is to ask who sinned? of a man that was born blind from birth, like as if he somebody did some, you know, terrible thing in the womb or something. But um, Jesus' answer to them was he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I want to be very specific here. I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to be very specific. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, there are certain trains of thought that will say, and I disagree with this train of thought when applied unilaterally, that will say, oh, the suffering happens in our life so that God would receive glory. That's where a lot of these things, that's where a lot of those ideas come from. Something bad happened to you so that God could somehow be glorified in it. Now, I don't accept that logic train of saying like, oh, because because that... <laughs> That essentially paints God not not terribly unlike Alfred Hitchcock, who ties birds to Tippi Hedren to create a certain effect. You know, like that. Mm. That's I, I don't really uh, appreciate that equation with God. But here's what I do think: I think that sometimes, and you and I have talked about this in different contexts on the show before. Sometimes it does not so much matter why a thing has come into our lives as it matters what we will do next as a result. Sure. Um, you talked at the stand on the stand conversation at length about the next right thing, which I find a, a very encouraging and, and convicting thought, that sometimes it may not be so much about why a thing happened, but what happens next, right. or what happens right. as a result of it. Um, and I think if I were to posit some piece of advice for those people who may be going through somewhat of a chaotic time in their life or maybe struggling with a chaotic thing, uh, bad news about poor health of yourself or a loved one, uh, bad news about financial situations right now, um, I say very sincerely, but uh, but hopefully, you know, not glibly that, you know, we're we're facing one of the biggest and most devastating wildfires out here in California that that our state has seen in terms of fatalities and in terms of people's homes that have been lost and 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 it it would be really easy to try to assign some degree of blame or some degree of uh, understand it in the context of punishment, but I think what has to happen next is. You know, we we need to pray for the first responders. We need to, uh, you know, applaud their unwavering efforts to try to put this fire out. And we need to, as a community, try to come together and help the people who are struggling or who may have lost something. And, And those coming out of it may be, if not the purpose and point, which I don't think it would be, at least a way to to redeem it. It may not explain it, but maybe there's hope to redeem it. Um, and so when I think about things like the birds, that's what uh, 
that's what stands out to me is the the futility of moments like that diner scene. But the and I'll I'll go ahead and say, you know, the the gosh, this feels really weird to use this word. I'm going to use it. Please scale me back if it sounds atrocious. Um, the the honor in something like what Annie's character does to save all those children and then lose her life. You know, that that obviously something like that would be something like that is not the desired outcome, but sure. there's but the, and, and there's a tragedy to it. But there's also tremendous honor as well. You know, she she gave her life literally for these kids. And, uh, you know, while that is to be grieved, that's also to be honored and to be and her her life and her sacrifices to be cherished as a result. And so I think that's what really stands out to me in terms of a theme to remember when we do have these senseless, chaotic things come into our lives is maybe it doesn't so much matter in trying to understand why they happened, um, but more to focus our considerations and attention on what we will now do because they have happened and what we will do next, if that makes sense. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I, I don't know. I mean, I had one or two kind of passing thematic notes, but nothing that would be valuable enough to to pivot away from that i think that scene is real resonant and you know i've ever since you brought that up i'm pondering like okay well what is the constructive choice you Mm -hmm. know in that moment and the constructive choice is to collectively in the face of in this case a threat choose okay well now what are we going to do together to push past this and and i think sure what's a little scary and this is ancillary commentary that needn't be followed, but just something that came to me. What is kind of scary in our current world is, is not just that you have many varied interpretations on the threat, but that we can't agree on what the threat is. <laughs> yes, yes. And can't agree on the solution as a result. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I mean, the, the movie is showing a disagreement, an inability to agree on a solution to a commonly sure, understood right. problem. What I'm right. saying is we are operating in a culture and climate where we aren't mutually agreeing on what the problem is, True. even with yes. Yes. disparate viewpoints on a solution. You know, it's it's sure. Right. Yeah. It's wild. We can't even we can't even get on the same page about what we need to confront. Right. Let right. A, let alone where we need to go for it. And I think that's that is an old problem, but we are seeing it in Legion right now in our in our current climate. There is just really no relief from the debates and the the often quite heated and and bothersome debates um, about yeah the problem is them or the problem is those people or the problem is this thing and I get so frustrated terribly terribly frustrated with the ways people will whittle down terribly complicated mysterious and confusing issues into some binary bumper sticker where they're saying like, you know, oh, well, I'll use this example because it's the first thing that came to mind. I get so frustrated when you have a troubled youth doing a a heinous thing and somebody just fires off online or in a, a, an op-ed piece or a commentary. It's like, what we need is good parenting. Right. It's like right, right, right. A, a, as if as if that is the only factor that went wrong in that individual's life or and as then if that is define the, good parenting you know what i mean right like, exactly, yeah, cuz exactly. what that person probably means is you know a strong uh, uh disciplinary kind of attitude and it's like okay well 
you know, it's right, arguable right. if that's going to equal good parenting across the board. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. No, absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, this is not a... a this is not the kind of conversation and the kind of thematic exploration that's going to have a cheap, easy bumper sticker for what to latch on to. Uh, but I would strongly encourage any of our listeners, and I think you would echo this, that you know, if, if something chaotic or troublesome has entered into your life, um, we've said before on the show, sometimes that's just not going to make sense, and it doesn't have to. You don't have to try to make it make sense in the moment. Uh, the other thing is... It just may be a situation where what you need to concern yourself with is what happens next right. and, and where you go next. And I think that can sometimes really be the the ultimate imperative for us um, is just to understand, well, what are we going to do now? Now that this thing has happened, uh, we can't change it. We can't undo it. So what what lies before us now to do? And that is of much more fruitful concern than how did this all come about right, to be who right. to, who to blame and and where to lay the bill uh, as it were um the bill is that a bird joke it wasn't intentional but i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna take it and just leave it there <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right um well I, I, if you're good i think we can leave it there and i'm good uh, and bring in our, our old fin our old friend uh David S. Um, wow. <laughs> so uh, as we do on every episode uh, where we cover a film, we measure these in David S. Pumpkins, number of David S. Pumpkins, uh, style, scares, and substance. I'm going to start first with style. Dude, I really dig the movie very, very much. Um, I think there are so many things that are so remarkably effective it's not as cohesive as some of Hitchcock's strongest work, but there's some terribly viscerally affecting moments. Uh, I'm going to go with a four and a half. For wow, a, that surprised yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really dig this movie. I'm going to go with a three. All right, that kind of surprises me. Um, well, I, I don't, I don't not like it. I, this is where just numeric metrics are challenging. True, I do, I true. do think it's like entertaining. I don't have an emotional attachment to it. So Makes three, sense. Three, no. three feels pretty straightforward. Like, no, I enjoy it, and I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again. Yeah, no problem. What would you say for scares? I'm going to go with four on scares. I think four is a very fair number. Um, instinctually, I'm going to give it a five. And the biggest reason is just that there's some individual moments that I think will just, if you see them and haven't seen them before, will just stay with you forever. And uh, yeah, so so five for me for scares. Now, substance is tricky because I think by nature of a very deliberate intention, there's not a ton of thematic exploration happening in the film. Um, I think there's some very deliberate stuff happening in that diner sequence, but I'm going to land on about a three. For, for substance i'll i'll honor and match your three so as a caveat there the only theme thing i really had and it's it's undeveloped but it stood out to me and this is why i would go with a three on substance is it stands out to me that brenner is the is really the only male character of note surrounded by a bunch of women it's called the birds uh the general sort of bird as as a feminine sort of mm. you know call out 
um, and the pecking at each other. I don't know. I was trying to figure out was there some sort of gender commentary happening. Ah, uh, I, I got you. I, I, I am not equipped to have gone down too far down that path, but because of that, I'm more open to its substance having something there. I just don't know exactly what. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. No, no, no. I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, hey, you know what? Read with those uh, scores. We we did break our normal here. No, oh, did we? S- sort of. Uh, we are in fact at a seven and uh, a half. Uh, David S. Pumpkin, seven point five. Seven point five. All right. Seven point five. David S. Pumpkins. Any questions? Um, if you have not yet seen the birds, it's worth it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's 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 a great suspense thriller, and it's scary and harrowing at times, but in terms of sort of like objectionable content, it's it's quite clean, except for a couple of frightening images. But uh, but yeah, it is a very, very effective. Still, re- re- some of the effects may appear a bit dated, but it is terribly effective uh, suspense thriller and very, very well worth your time. Uh, well, Nathan, that concludes not only hashtag Hitchcock's Giving, but it in, it concludes our umbrella of Hitchcock's films. Yeah, um, to, the Hitchcock be, block of episodes is wrapped. Yeah, they, they're all done. Um, they're, they're the Alfred a, letters is canonized. Yeah, they're <laughs> exactly. There is a, perhaps the remote slim possibility. Uh, there's one or two films that we didn't get to that maybe sometime in the future we might revisit in certain different contexts. But that pretty much concludes the fear of God's official study of the work of the master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, next week we start. Um, and I'm not entirely sure exactly how this will play out, so stay tuned on social media to see. Um, but next week, we're going to start our run-up to the Christmas holidays, mm. and that's always a very fun time for us here at The Fear of God. Um, we've batted about a couple of ideas, and so stay tuned again to social media to see where we're going, but we are going to start the Christmas holidays here at The Fear of God, and we are going to have a really fun time, as we always do. But Nathan, thank you so much for having this uh, Thanksgiving celebration with me. You're welcome, my friend. I enjoyed it. I'm still stuffed. (laughs) Like a stuffed bird. Mm. Harmless as a stuffed bird. So, uh, yes, thank you very much. And uh, listeners, thank you to you. Uh, We will see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. Go to morethanonelesson.com for show notes, or to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.